Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another episode of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and our guest this week, she's won four WTA titles. She's been ranked as high as number four in the world, and she was also the 2015 winner of the Rogers Cup in Toronto. Belinda Benchish, thanks uh, so much for joining us on Matchpoint Canada. Thanks as well. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you back on the podcast, and uh, apologies if we seem tired at 7 a.m. here in Toronto. So uh, oh. <laughs> we're going to call this breakfast with Belinda, I think, this week. Perfect. It's one o'clock here, so lunch with, with you guys. That's, yeah. that's why you look so rested. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> we've, uh, we've only seen you once since the, the return to tennis, and I know your fans are interested to know how you've been doing, and maybe you can talk about why we haven't seen you as active lately on the WTA. Uh, well, yeah, so, um, I mean, all summer, basically, the tour was cancelled, and then um, it started uh, with the U.S. swing, which I decided not to go to because, yeah, I just wanted um, to focus more on the clay, and also, for me, I was quite not certain how it's going to be and um, just didn't want to take the risk, so just uh, put, uh, like, my focus on the clay. But then I played Rome, uh, which didn't go so well, and I got a little bit injured, uh, there as well and uh, that made me miss Roland Garros which was really disappointing for me because um, yeah I was focusing on these two tournaments and uh, trying to do well and I was confident I can do well so the timing was a little bit not great um, for me and my injury um, but now everything is fine but there's no more tournaments to play so <laughs> yeah yeah Belinda obviously uh, the the 2020 um, in general, has been such an unusual year, I think, for everybody in the world. And, uh, of course, it disrupted the tennis season so much. Uh, just wondering what, what has kept your life kind of busy through uh, the pandemic off the court? And uh, what do you miss most about life on tour? Well, for me, generally, it was really nice to be home. Um, this year, I kind of felt like I had a normal life, you know, not traveling so much and just... Being here, of course, I was practicing almost like two, three times a day. So I was really busy, actually, but it's just different. You know, I was in a different like environment of people. I was more with my friends, more with my family. I didn't have to travel every other week so I could see everyone regularly. And um, that was for sure the positive part. But of course, you know, um, especially now I'm missing tournaments already. I just missed the feeling of playing. And I feel like generally this season I didn't play at all. And it was like really like one to forget I would say and that's why I'm really motivated for next year and I, I'm sure um, and confident that I can I can play well and I'm really like looking forward to that. You, you talked a little bit about uh, enjoying the fact that you could stay home a little bit and uh, it's funny because for tennis players normally your season is so busy so jam-packed and you have such a short window at the end of the year to rest and recover see family and friends um, what were some of the positives for you during this pandemic of, of being at home and having that stretch where you didn't have to be traveling so much? Yeah, especially that, you know, it's just as tennis players, we are traveling 10 months of the year and then, you know, we're doing preparation the, the 12 months. So we have like, yeah, we have two weeks of holidays and um, really it's, it's very busy and it's kind of nonstop. So it was nice to take like, just a little bit time off I didn't have to do anything of course I tried to stay active and try to stay fit um but yeah still I, I thought that was really like like a refreshing part you know like yeah I could 
just relax a little bit from all this traveling and then tennis circus. And I, I really had a little bit time to do different things and, and just stay home and, and enjoy. And uh, now at this stage, I mean, we, we noticed uh, just on social media, you had a great vacation recently in, uh, in the Maldives. Uh, for you, I guess, for the remainder of the off season, uh, what, what are the plans before you lead into 2021? Yeah, I mean, I'm right now in my fitness preparation. So um, Maldives was really a spontaneous idea because we first wanted to go to Switzerland uh, to see my family there and to keep um, yeah doing the preparation there. But unfortunately, because um, my boyfriend lives in Slovakia, so sometimes I'm here with him. Um, the Slovakians were put on the red list for Switzerland, which made us quarantine again there. Um, so we, we decided we wouldn't go there. And we went to the Maldives instead, but it was kind of a like vacation slash preparation. So we, we still did a lot of work there, which was great. But it was also really good because we just changed the environment a little bit. And also I was able to, to recover. And um, I think it's really important because still this year I didn't play much, but I was working a lot. So um, I definitely needed a little bit of a vacation or the feeling of a vacation so I can like start full and energized for next season. It, it definitely looked like a vacation. I'm not going to lie. I was very jealous <laughs> when I Instagram. saw the, the pictures. Instagram is not always reality. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that, that shot in the pool with the breakfast, the floating breakfast was my yeah, favorite. Yeah, that was, that was a shot I had to make, I told myself. <laughs> um, when you're not playing tennis, whether it's because of injury or due to the pandemic, are you the type of player that likes to still uh, keep an eye on the tennis world. Do you watch a lot of the events? And uh, if so, what were your thoughts on the U.S. Open and French Open results? Was there anything that surprised you from the two Grand Slams this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm always someone that I say, okay, I will not watch tennis. I just will take a break. I will not watch the result, but I end up watching every match, every result, and totally being into it. So I guess it's something that I can't change. Um, but for sure, I mean, it was nice to see you know, Roland Garros, um, Iga do really well. Um, it was great for her and for sure really surprising, I think, but still, I think she's a great talent that's coming up. So, um, yeah, for sure we will see more of her and, um, yeah, US Open as well. It was, it was a little bit weird to see the matches without the spectators. That was, I think the, the thing that stood out the most for me, but like everything, uh, I think players get used to it. Yeah, uh, of course, we had the brand new slam champion, as you mentioned, and in, in Iga Spiontek and such an unusual year. We, we don't know yet, I guess, if it's going to lead into 2021 playing without fans. But uh, just in that brief experience where you did play uh, on the clay, was was it a little strange for you not not feeling the spectators behind you? And and how do you think you, you might cope with that moving forward if that that is the case um, at the start of 2021? Yeah, it was definitely really strange, of course. You know, I was prepared for it. I knew um, that it's going to be like that. But still, when you play the match, it just feels like a practice. And, um, of course, I think I will get used to it and I'm I'm prepared for it for next season. And I'm sure um, we can play, but we will still have some, like, uh, precautions and, and all the... The, the, the safety uh, around us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. And, and I think it's something that tennis players always do really well. They adapt to the situation that we are given. So we can't do much about it and just, you know, try to play as good as possible. And, um, and then we will be for sure 
super happy once the fans will be back again. Belinda, when I think of your career to this point, there's, there's two events that stick out in my mind. And one of them might be surprising, but one of them isn't. And it's here in Canada, obviously, the Rogers Cup and uh, that breakout tournament for you in 2015, which I can't believe has already been five years ago. Um, <laughs> the other one is, uh, is, oddly enough, the Hopman Cup. And that's just because you seem to enjoy that event so much, which is no longer happening anymore. And obviously, it was fun to watch you and Roger Federer on the same side of the, the net playing mixed doubles together. So if you could just speak a little bit about what that Rogers Cup win meant to you, and uh, have you been in touch with Roger at all during uh, the pandemic? And, and how's your mixed doubles partner doing these days? Yeah, I mean, so Roger Cup is, is always in my heart, you know, um, because that was really my breakout tournament. I will never forget that one. It was like a dream week for me. And I also can't believe it's been already five years, but time's flying fast. And um, still, I have to, you know, keep going with my tennis and hopefully I can one day again maybe win the Rogers Cup and have another nice memory like that that would be amazing and um, I definitely really I'm definitely really looking forward to playing in Canada again because I really enjoyed there and um, yeah about the Hopman Cup I'm also really sad it's not happening anymore it was really a dream come true playing with Roger and uh, hopefully we can play again or maybe even at the Olympics so um, I'm sure he's doing great we are in touch sometimes um, and I, I'm really excited when he's coming back as well, and uh, I'm sure he can play great, uh, some great tennis again. For, for me, one of my memories is uh, just your run at the U.S. Open um, in, in 2019, of course, getting to that semifinals. And uh, for us here in Canada, we, we recall uh, the great match you played with uh, our Canadian Bianca Andreescu in that semifinal match. I'm wondering just uh, for you, still a young player and a Bianca, of course, uh, a rising star as well, if, if, if she's someone you see as a potential, you know, future rival for, for yourself moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it definitely can be. And a lot of people also say we look alike. So <laughs> yes. that's also something. We were um, just saying that before we started recording with you. I was actually. really, yeah, right yes. before you came, right before you came on, one of my friends uh, said, "Belinda Bencic looks a lot like Bianca Andreescu." Uh, yeah, so. it's true. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but um, <laughs> many people say it. So we are uh, talking to each other like, "Hey, twin." <laughs> yeah. So um, for sure, I mean, she's definitely a, a really talented and great player. She reads the game so well, and she has. Just like a different game, you know, she she really feels the ball. She's not just like a big hitter, but also thinking a lot. So I, I definitely like her game style and it's really challenging to play her. And hopefully we can build something like a rivalry for sure. The match in US Open was really good, I think. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to try to, to beat her and uh, to make some revenge. But of course... Um, you guys will not recognize us. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We won't know who to cheer for. Maybe we can yeah, get the two twins on the same side of the net as uh, doubles partners one day. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, before we let you go, we wanted to finish with uh, just a section of some, some rapid fire questions just to, to get, you know, get to know you a little bit better. And uh, so, I'll, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll lead off and ask... Um, if there is any athlete in the world you could meet, who would it be and why? Usain Bolt. And it's because I really enjoy, um, besides tennis, like to watch track and field athletes and just how they train and, and how they compete. And I'm really fascinated by them. 
on the tennis court, what is your favorite shot, Belinda? Uh, my favorite ch shot is my backhand. Okay. Do you have a uh, best friend on the tour? Um, I cannot just name one. I have a couple of friends, um, really good friends with Donna Vekic, uh, with Barbara Stritsova, with Jill Teichmann, Stephanie Fögele, uh, Golovic. Just, I don't know. I, I just can't <laughs> name one. That would be not fair. <laughs> okay. Who's your most challenging opponent? Um, generally, all the lefties give me a hard time. And I wish I'd be one. I should note that I'm a, I'm a lefty, so that means I have a chance oh. if we ever play a set. <laughs> you I don't keep think dreaming, I, keep dreaming, Ben. Yeah, okay. Um, your favorite food to eat? Pizza. Favorite movie? Ooh, um, Benjamin Button. <laughs> mm, good film. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite Grand Slam? Yes, it's Wimbledon. What's the best part of being Swiss? You can eat a lot of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, and our last question, this, this will be a tougher one. We asked this to uh, Kevin Anderson the other week, actually. What is your favorite thing about Canada? Uh, my favorite thing about Canada is the Rotoscope. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> Very Canadian answer. I love yes. it. Yes, <laughs> I really like it. I also have it here, but when I'm in Canada, even more. <laughs> love, love your answers to the rapid fire. You handled that really well. And uh, when you said the curious case of Benjamin Button, I thought, isn't that the story of Roger Federer? He just keeps getting younger somehow. Yeah, the, maybe. Yeah. Can be done with him maybe in the next part. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, Belinda, for joining us. It's uh, great to catch up with you. I know your fans thank are going to be super happy to hear from you and. We're looking forward to seeing you back on tour in, in 2021, fit and, and ready to go. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. There you have it. That was world former world number four and former 2015 Rogers Cup winner, Belinda Benjic joining us. And I feel like she's one of a, a handful of the players on both, both sides of the tour, really, who we feel like they really didn't have a 2020 season because since the restart, Belinda only played the one match in Rome, and as she said, dealing with an injury. It's just the safe move when you have such a truncated year with only kind of events in between that why would you risk anything at all? Yeah, and aside from injury issues that some players may have been dealing with, if you tack on to that the fact that there's the pandemic, you're worried about traveling, you're worried about exposure. Uh, I mean, who knows what her family situation is as well in terms of people in her family that she's close with that are in the bubble that you don't want to expose to other things. I mean. All those day-to-day -day fears and worries that we have just as regular, you know, non-tennis uh, professionals, uh, you can imagine that it's just compounded for them because of all the, the travel. And even with uh, precautions and things like that that tournaments are taking, I can understand how some don't want to go back to it. It was, uh, you know, like when the NHL started back up in the summer, there were players on some teams that opted against yeah. coming back into it for whatever the reasons might be. So um, for Belinda, the season was really, uh, you know, halted basically in February. Uh, she didn't play past that except for that one match in Rome. And uh, for someone like her, getting healthy and fit and just ready and looking forward to 2021. Uh, but at her age, she's only 23 years old now, I believe, even though it feels like she's been around for so long. And uh, crazy to think how young she was when she had that great run at the Rogers Cup, taking the title so unexpectedly, mm -hmm. which was five years ago now.
yeah yeah time really flies and then also it feels like a long time ago at, at the same times but uh, i certainly think when we see belinda benchich back on court healthy um and kind of in her comfort zone she certainly feels like a top 10 player and kind of on the cusp of top five and we the last time we saw that really was 2019 U.S. Open and that, that semifinal run where, of course, we saw the great showdown with, uh, with Bianca. Yeah, that was a great match and a great opportunity for both of them. And, and Bianca seized it, obviously, as we know by now. But for Belinda, that, Belinda, that was the, the best slam result she's had in her career, which is almost kind of surprising because after that Rogers Cup run, I think people expected the slam success would translate uh, quicker than it has. Uh, but she's also dealt with injuries over the past few years that have taken her out for chunks of seasons. Her most memorable result for me in 2020, and I'm guessing it's probably the same for you, was actually a loss that happened back in February in Fed Cup play, which was the the spark for uh, Leila Annie Fernandez in, in many ways that I think gave her the confidence that she can, can compete with the top players in the world and was her biggest victory to date. And uh, I think that just did wonders for Leila Annie and, and sparked her to to have a great 2020 season despite the uh, the limited match play that uh, players were able to get in. Yeah, my memory of that win from Layla beating Belinda Bencic is uh, speaking to the uh, Billie Jean King coach, uh, Heidi Eltabach, about how Layla kind of took that match herself. It wasn't the type of scenario where it was a top 10 player like Belinda Bencic playing really poorly and missing everywhere. It was Layla taking the ball early and taking the initiative. Like she really went out and earned that match. And um, that was definitely a signature win for Layla. Just one of many, of course, on her 2020 season. And, you know, not long after that, we saw her making that unbelievable run to the finals in Acapulco. So I, I certainly think that win over Bencic was, was a springboard for her. We should have mentioned that to Belinda, but we already mentioned her loss to Bianca last year at the <laughs> yes. Open. So you don't want to ask your guests too many questions exactly. about how yeah. they got beat by Canada's players, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We are also on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. And we should look back at uh, one men's event that we just came across this past week. And of course, a great result from a Canadian. It's funny, if you looked at the draw at the ATP Sofia 250 event, you see the number one and two seeds are Denis Shapovalov and Felix Ojealiasim. I was thinking going in, this is a wonderful opportunity for two of our young Canadian superstars to really make a dent, maybe win a title to close out their year. They both flop in their first matches. Um, very disappointing start, obviously, and surprising losses. Felix falls to uh, Caruso, a surprising loss from Dennis to Radu Albot. But then Vashik Pospisil is in the draw and suddenly goes on this incredible run and makes his third career ATP final and closes out his season with just another fantastic tournament. I mean, first of all, Ben, we maybe jinxed Felix and Dennis because I know we were excited on our previous episode of the yeah. podcast at having a number one and number two seeds both being Canadians because it had never happened before. So mm-hmm. it was just something else to look at the draw and see one at the top two at the bottom, and there they were, our two young guns, and, and maybe got ahead of ourselves thinking, well, it'd be pretty cool if they could have a great deep run and, and meet in the finals, of course. And, and then what an injustice we did, obviously, and probably everyone who looked at that draw from Canada in sort of, uh, you know, not forgetting about, but, but putting behind those other two, Vashik Pospisil, who at various times over the course of, of 2020, and even going back to 2019, has just had these moments where you're, you're watching a player who, despite the fact he's 30 years old now, he's playing the best tennis of his life. I I really don't think that can be argued, even though he made 
the Rogers Cup uh, semis back in 2013. He made that All-Canadian final with Milos, I believe, that same year. But here he is, seven years later, having these career-defining moments and on such an upward, upward trajectory. And all of this is after major back surgery, which he had, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or almost two years ago. I'm losing track of time in this pandemic. But <laughs> yeah. regardless, it, it's just been absolutely incredible what he's managed to do. And um, my goodness, if he can sustain this level over a, a full season, I mean, we've talked about how he's going to get back to the top 50 top 40, top 30, where do we, you know, put the ceiling on him? And I don't think there is one right now, the way that he's playing it. It's fantastic to see. If you went through the markers that he's produced in the 2020 season, you would already write it as a fantastic year rising from, I think, number 140 something to number 61 by the end of the year. You think over a full season, wow, terrific, terrific year. Five top 20 wins, you would think, wow, terrific season. He's done this, and we missed, you know, over half a calendar year, which is unbelievable. Makes two ATP finals, and we missed, you know, the biggest block, probably a tournament that I think he would do great at, of course, is Wimbledon, uh, a former quarterfinalist there. And we missed that block on, on grass completely. So he's played such unbelievable tennis in this shortened time frame. Um, and, of course, great final as well against Yannick Sinner, um, who's so close so close yeah right down to the wire and and Sinner is one of these players I think all the pundits and experts and people who are watching tennis now understand this is a 19 year old with an incredibly bright future some people feel he's he's a future world number one I don't want to pin that on him but I I, I can assure you this is not his one and only title but it was his his uh, maiden ATP title on, on tour but Vashik Pospisil's season has just been absolutely incredible and it, and it dates back to summer of 2019 through that fall so he sustained that momentum he didn't skip a beat when uh, we went off tour for six and a half months either of course we saw what he did at the U.S. Open too so I feel like his form right now is certainly someone who belongs in the top 30 frankly. And Vashik has put himself into that conversation about which Canadian male player had the best 2020 in singles play and I put a poll out there on my Twitter a couple of days ago and got about 330, 340 people, um, you know, replying to that. And uh, the number one choice that people picked for the best Canadian of 2020 was, surprisingly, unsurprisingly, depends on how you look at it, Vashik Pospisil. He took 34% of the votes, followed by Denis Shapovalov with 29%, followed by Milos Raonic with 28%. And so... I mean, to me, it was certainly a Vashik or Milos conversation. Uh, I think the two veterans really had uh, the most notable moments, although Dennis definitely had his spots as well and yep. is the highest ranked Canadian of the bunch. Uh, Felix also had some moments, but uh, a few more inconsistencies there for him. But as I mentioned on Twitter earlier, I mean, this is a great conversation and a great position to be in. Who would have thought that, you know, if you'd said five years ago, we'd be arguing about, you know, or having a debate about three Canadians at the end of the year being the best one when we were kind of used to it being Milos for so long. And pre-Milos, there was really, you know, nobody that, that stood out as a, a legit top 100 kind of guy on a regular basis. So, you know, we're kind of spoiled here in Canada right now, even being in this situation. And it's a great debate and great conversation to have. Yeah, we are very spoiled. I mean, the fact that we're kind of debating the semantics on three of them because Felix would have had probably the worst year out of that those four and he's ranked 21st in the world <laughs> we're not talking about a player who's outside of the top 300 or something um 
And for me personally, I, I voted on your poll as well. And I had to throw my vote to Vashik Pospisil just for sustained consistency over the course of the year that we did have. Um, Milos Ranoch to me maybe had, you could argue maybe the best highlight reaching the finals in Cincinnati, um, which was an unbelievable tournament. The fact that he's boosted his ranking to number 15 is fantastic. Denis Shapovalov as well, like just as a single highlight, U.S. Open quarterfinals feels like an unbelievable standout moment, one of our best for 2020. But sustained season, tournament after tournament, delivering big-time wins and getting great results, uh, my pick is Vashik. And the thing with Vashik, and i got to admit, I didn't vote in my own poll, okay? But anyways, uh, the thing Fair. with Vashik is uh, he didn't have the luxury of starting tournaments being seated, right? So he didn't have mm-hmm. the opportunity to slowly ease his way into an event playing lower-ranked guys. He was the lower-ranked guy. Yep. usually facing seeded players early and often. And the fact that he's got five top 20 wins, which is probably more than a bunch of guys who are in the top 20 had this season, uh, just speaks volumes. But he was up against it from the get-go. There's no favors when you're unseeded in a tournament, and he had to do that all season long. So I think when I factor that into his results, to me, that pushes him over the edge. And, and he would have got my vote if I had taken the time to be brave enough to, to vote in my own poll. Yeah, certainly. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. And uh, while we are, of course, thrilled that we have Belinda Bencic on this week's episode, she is not the only guest uh, that we are speaking with. We are also speaking with the president and the CEO of Tennis Canada, Michael Downey, uh, who is going to hopefully detail a bit more on a new fundraising initiative that Tennis Canada has announced called Rebuild a Tennis Nation. Um, We're excited to talk about that with him and then also talk about Uh, the year in 2020 for Canadian tennis. Joining us this week on the podcast is Tennis Canada CEO and President Michael Downey. He's here to recap some of the challenges that uh, Canada's Tennis Federation has faced in 2020 and also to look ahead to the future in terms of how tennis can continue to grow in our country and uh, talk about some exciting new initiatives as well that Tennis Canada is proposing. Michael, thanks for joining us yet again on the podcast. Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's no secret that the pandemic has taken its toll on Tennis Canada in 2020 and the loss of the Rogers Cup and Coop Rogers being the most noticeable casualties for, for tennis fans in the country. Uh, numerous staff layoffs had to occur as well, which was tough for you to see, of course, and, and other tournaments and promotional events not taking place. Can you uh, recap for our listeners just how widespread the repercussions have been for your organization this past year? Well, you know, Mike, it's, it's pretty severe, but it's been pretty severe for many businesses and individuals in Canada and around the world. So, I, you know, I want to make sure I make that opening comment. But from a Tennis Canada perspective, it's been pretty dire. Like when you, you have to lay off 40% of your staff, you see kind of like from the tennis business, you know, nearly 60 tournaments couldn't be executed. Lots of programs couldn't be executed. Um, it's really difficult because, as you guys know, we ended 2019 as a sport that was on the high with Bianca winning the U.S. Open and our men getting to the Davis Cup final. The expectations were immense for 2020, and then to have this happen is really, really difficult. So it's, it's been a hard hit. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and uh, I know one of the... Uh one of the platforms right now that Tennis Canada has, has announced, and one of the reasons uh, it's great for us to talk with you, is uh, you, you have announced a fundraising campaign to help sort of rebuild Tennis Canada. And we have a hashtag going around right now on Twitter, hashtag Tennis Nation. 
could you tell us just a bit about uh, this fundraising campaign and how important it is for, for Tennis Canada just moving forward beyond 2020? Absolutely. So, you know, the first thing is we, we can't wait for next year's tennis tournaments to come back uh, and just sit, given the magnitude of our losses. So we've got to be active. And quite frankly, that's also important because we're, we're you know, we're, we're in discussions with the federal government about some support. And the more we can look like we're doing things to kind of get ourselves out of a hole, the better. So, you know, if I can start, we had a small campaign that was in September and it was, um, you know, getting back into tennis where you got a couple uh, tins of Rogers Cup balls that we didn't get to use in August. And that raised about $55,000, which was terrific. And then we just recently launched a second campaign, this Rebuild a Tennis Nation. And fundamentally what it's about is it's a matching campaign. And we were able to get, and it didn't take a lot of convincing, uh, Felix and Bianca to both gift $50,000 and then Anton Rabi, who's the co-CEO of a spin master and a phenomenal tennis fan, he decided when he heard that Bianca and Felix were stepping up that he would personally step up. So that's 150,000 of matching funds, meaning for every gift that's given to us up to 50,000, it's quadrupled. Um, and then today we announced a second wave of matching gifts where my board of directors, uh, both current and past were asked to give and uh, that was done just over the last couple of weeks largely by an email that I sent out and another $200,000 was raised of matching funds. So now we're in a situation that we've got 350000 waiting to be matched if we can get everyday people to to donate up to 50000 in total it'll be 400000 So we're off to a great start. And quite frankly, it's really needed because even though we're in a deep hole, all these kind of initiatives make a difference. And I, I think that's why we're getting such a phenomenal response is that people know we're in a hole. They love this sport. They don't want to see things that have the growth of the sport not only halted, but fall back. And that's why they're being so generous. Yeah, I think, like you said earlier in the, uh, the interview, uh, people realize we're on the cusp of something special here in Canada, and, and they don't want to see that get derailed. Like, everyone's definitely behind that. And uh, seeing names like Bianca Andreescu and Felix Orgi-Aliassim attached to a campaign like this must be such a huge boost for the fundraising efforts. I think it also speaks volumes to their love of the sport and, and their leadership capabilities, even at such a, a young age. What, what does it mean to you having two of our greatest stars step up to support and promote such an initiative like this? Well, it's music to my ears, and I think it's music to everyone's ears that works at Tennis Canada, but I think in a broader sense, it's what the tennis fan in Canada wants to hear and see, and it is a phenomenal leadership statement because it's basically saying that they want to give back the, to the sport that was so generous to them growing up, whether it was playing in competitions with the OTA or the QTF in Ontario, Quebec, or being part of the National Training Center in Montreal, wherever they got support to help them reach the highs that they're having today, they don't. They think it's it's required of them to actually give back to the next generation and make sure the 10 and 12 and 14 and 16 year olds that are coming up in the system, whether they're in a regional program or working with a tennis development center or at our National Training Center, that these kids get the same type of support so they can actually exceed their own expectations 
but also hopefully make them do well on the pro circuit if they can get that far. So I think it's a great statement by Felix and Bianca. Yeah, and certainly, um, you know, we, we've covered the, the challenges of, of 2020, but uh, there are actually so many positives if we were just talking about tennis in, in Canada, again, in terms of results. And we've been reflecting on this podcast of some some great moments. Of course, Denis Shapovalov made the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. We saw Milos Raonic with a great resurgence, making the, the final of the Western and Southern Open. Leila Fernandez in the top 100. It, are there any standout moments for you in the, in the calendar year of tennis, despite the, the Tennis Canada issues? We, we still saw some great results from our players. Well, I think two things come to mind, and you hit on many of them, and there were many more, like, you know, Vasek, you know, unfortunately he didn't get the, 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 the trophy on Saturday or Sunday, but making the final in the event in Bulgaria was a phenomenal result for him. For me, the highlights, there's two of them I'd like to talk about. I, Milo's coming back and making the final of the Cincinnati Masters, I think was just a phenomenal result. And I think it says something, when the big guy's healthy, man, he can, he can do some damage. And that's what he showed this year coming out of the gate. It was just a terrific event for him. You know, unfortunately he didn't get the W either, but just making the final of a Masters is a great result. And I think, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slip in a third one here. I think the other two are, are um, uh, young Layla Fernandez, you know, I, I don't know where she's ended the year, probably 80, 85 in, in the world, but there's no doubt she's on the rise and she easily is going to be in the top 50 next year. And that just adds another kind of bullet to the holster of Canadian tennis, not only for our Billie Jean King Fed Cup team, but also to get another woman high up in the rankings with Bianca. And the other one I have to give credit to that I think is just so special is the return of Eugenie Bouchard. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the end of the day, she started the year something like 350 in the world. Probably a lot of people just counted her out. But I know for a fact she was working really hard in kind of that original off-season of COVID. She was in Las Vegas training really, really hard and getting fit and working on her game. And, you know, I, I feel really good that, you know, our federation helped get her a wild card to Roland Garros and it was the right thing to do because she had earned it and then look what she did she made the third round of Roland Garros and I, I just think it's just so special that she's back and she's going to end the year about 130 in the world but I really believe you know she has the potential of, of getting to the top 50 again if she just continues to give to the game as she can give so those are three very special moments for me among a year that was odd but Canadians continue to do well and move up the rankings. Yeah, you and Ben just both mentioned so many great moments for Canada, despite all that we've been through. And it leaves me feeling really optimistic for 2021. And yet there's, there's still so much unknown. How, how realistic do you think it is for fans here in Canada to get excited about being back to watch the Rogers Cup next summer? I know there's so much that could happen between now and then. But what possibilities are being explored even at this point in time for that event? Well, we're kicking the tires on a lot of different options, which we have to, because I think that's how most businesses are being run, given the uncertainty of COVID-19, that you really can't just say there's one forecast. So we're kind of been modeling three different scenarios. You know, the first one is the optimistic one, is that there's a vaccine and it's widely distributed, and that we might be able to stage a normal Rogers Cup in August in Montreal and Toronto. But you know, that's probably the most optimistic because even though there's good signs about a vaccine, who knows how fast 
it's going to be distributed in Canada. Um, so that's the first option. The second option is what we call limited fans. And what we've done in this case is basically uh, we worked with Ticketmaster and we had them model our two show courts in Toronto and our two short courts in Montreal and said if we had six foot social distancing, how many tickets could we sell that people could see safely sit in their seats? And it was about 25 or 30% capacity. So about say 4,000 people per session could come to Toronto and to Montreal. So it's obviously lower than the 12 or 13,000 we normally would have, but we're optimistic that we might get approval later in, um, in 21 for that because it applies social distancing. And then the base case is broadcast only, that it basically is just a very conservative way of saying, look, the Rogers Cups might be for broadcast only, like the U.S. Open was, like the Paris Masters was, like the ATP Finals are this week in London. And in that case, there'd be very limited fans because obviously government isn't allowing that. But we would still have a phenomenal broadcast. And that means that Canadians across the country and quite frankly, 60 million people around the world would get to see world-class tennis in Montreal and Toronto. So those are the three models that we're looking at. And we keep kind of, you know, evolving our thinking around all three of them because there's so much uncertainty. We don't really know. All I'll say is the team is working really hard and whatever kind of scenario we get to stage, we're going to do it with excellence. And the fans will be happy whether they're there live or they're watching on television. Well, we're looking yeah. forward to any of those those three options, and, and I can tell you for Ben and I, who who go every year and have been covering it for several years now, it was uh, it, it's like our Christmas. You know, we look forward to that <laughs> on our calendar as as most people do uh, their biggest holidays. So uh, it's nice to hear you got some options, and we're certainly hoping for that that first one you let off with. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I did want to ask as well, just uh, going forward for Tennis Canada. You, you know, we talk about so much progress being made in this country in terms of high caliber results and what our players are doing. And we know that really starts at a grassroots level. Are you concerned, uh, I guess, what COVID-19 has done financially? Is it, is it going to be tougher kind of working those high performance programs for the juniors? Uh, and what can you kind of do to assure that our top junior players are still getting quality development in, in the coming years? Well, it's a really good question. That's part of the reason we're, we're, we're executing this rebuild uh, a tennis nation campaign because we want to make sure, among other areas that are equally important in tennis development, we want to make sure that the next generation of kids are getting the same level of support that the current ones got in excelling into the pro game. So that's obviously a priority. I think in the short term, to be honest, the other concern we have isn't just financial it's being able to make sure when they're on home ground that we can put them through the training that's required um, given there's restrictions around COVID-19. Um, and right now we're fine in that end, but we've got to be ready for potentially that situation, whether it's a month from now, two months from now, or three months from now, that things might be a little tougher for people to play tennis if the number of cases rise and government wherever decides that more needs to be shut down. But I'll give an example, if I may. You know, we, we sent um, four young women from our Montreal National Training Center to Spain for a three-week tour. And they actually just got back. And uh, 
the, the ladies did quite well. They were playing in a grade one and grade two ITF events. So they were playing, you know, 17 and 18 year olds. And these were largely 14 and 15 and 16 year old Canadians. But beyond their performance, the amount of work that went into getting them to Spain safely and to keep them safe for three months, three weeks there was, was an exceptional job by, by staff at Tennis Canada. The players wanted to go, their parents wanted to go, but we needed to make sure their coaches and the players themselves were quite safe. And, you know, for example, we had to fly them through, uh, through Heathrow in London because we needed to stay out of Madrid, which was a real epicenter for COVID cases. Um, it all worked out well. They're all back at home, but they're in, they're in two weeks of quarantine now, so they can't even practice. But it just gives you kind of the complexity of trying to run a high-performance program right now in an environment that's so uncertain. But we're going to do our best to keep them busy and fit and hitting balls. But we do want to get them back out on tour because, as Louis Borfiga, who heads up high-performance, has said to us, they can't develop if they don't get out and actually compete. And the rest of the world was there in Spain, so we needed to make sure our Canadian talent was there as well. Well, that seems like a, a great decision to, to get them there, and I, I'm thrilled that they had that opportunity. And, uh, Michael, we're thrilled that you could join us today. I'm glad the, the conversation wasn't completely negative. I, I think uh, things are, are back on the upswing, at least uh, we feel. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And if I may say, you know, I'm hoping that Canadians will be generous. I know there's many different charities to give money to. There's many people suffering right now. So we understand if you want to give your donations somewhere else. But if you have a few extra dollars and you believe in tennis in Canada, because that's what it's about, um, please be generous because we could use the funds and we'll do our best to actually make sure the money is spent efficiently and effectively to help grow the sport here in Canada. Thanks a lot, guys. Well said. Thanks again, Michael. Take care. And uh, we look forward to some more positive chats in the new year with you. Thank you. There you have it, our conversation with President and CEO Michael Downey. And um, as I said to him, I, I'm glad it's not all pessimistic right now. I guess I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't a completely negative conversation that I, I really do, this, do think this organization is going to turn things around. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for those who were listening, I hope it came across, we had him on Zoom, so obviously we could see his facial expressions, and he certainly seemed like a positive individual just based on the, the smiles and the positivity he was kind of radiating, mm -hmm. and um, optimistic for, for what's to come, and, and when we finished the episode off air and we're chatting with him, uh, you know, he kind of said he, he relished the challenge, not that he wanted this challenge, not that yes. he was seeking something like this, but given the fact that it's in front of him, you know, like, hey, let's see what we can do. And he was, you know, very optimistic about uh, about people's response to this fundraising campaign, uh, both everyday tennis fans in Canada, as long as the big names like uh, Bianca, Felix, and, and the board members as well who were stepping up. So um, I think that's going to bode well for Tennis Canada's challenges and, and, and ability to get back on their feet. And certainly what we're all hopeful for is, uh, you know, that we can get events back up and running from uh, challenger type events and, and ITF events in places like Gadno and Granby and here in Toronto, the Tevlin Challenger, as well as the big one, of course, in, in Montreal and Toronto, the Coop Rogers and, and Rogers Cup, which is just so important for yeah. that organization, for Tennis Canada, in terms of the revenue that it brings that then goes to, you know, not only pay their employees, but, but fund the development of our juniors. And, you know, it's this double-edged sword because we're, we're, on the, we're on the cusp, more than the cusp, we're into the best time, historically speaking, that Tennis Canada has ever had and that our athletes have ever had, which is so exciting. And, and even with the loss of our own home tournament this year, some great Canadian results, but 
that being said, we want to capitalize on it. We want to have them have the exposure of playing in events and, and being playing in events here in Canada for Canadian, uh, you know, tennis fans to watch. It's one thing to watch them on TV, but it's a whole other when you can do it in person. And uh, so, so let's hope that option one, or at the very least, uh, option two can, can happen for the, the Rogers Cup events next summer. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Fingers are crossed. It is, it's such an important tournament, uh, not just for this country and growing tennis, but, but for the players, the Canadian tennis players and, and some of the lesser lights who you don't know who get those opportunities to get a wild card and, and play their home tournament uh, and various challengers as well, whether it's a stretch in Gatineau, as you mentioned, or, or Calgary or out in BC. Uh, we we want to see all of those events returning and of course returning safely um we are wrapping up the calendar year for tennis unfortunately we don't get an end of year finals on the women's side which is is disappointing but i i'm confident it will be back for 2021 but we do have our final installment of the atp finals held in london uh before it moves to tour in italy next year and uh, tough groupings already and, and action is underway we have the tokyo group which of course has a uh, world number one novak djokovic Daniil Medvedev there, Sasha Zverev, and Diego Schwartzman. And then in the London side, Rafael Nadal, Dominic Team, Stefano Tsitsipas, and Andre Rublev. So it's an interesting, great mix of eight fantastic players. All of them really outside of Rafael Nadal seem to love the hardcore surface. I should say Dominic Team, but he also won the U.S. Open year. Uh, this year um, but this is an interesting crop of players uh, of course if I'm stating who the favorite is it has to be the world number one um, but this is an exceptionally difficult tournament to win yeah I'm just looking at the names on the screen here in front of me and uh, you can't discount anyone I mean a guy like Schwartzman I was watching his match against Djokovic today and and his comments beforehand you know he says he's not just here to just have an experience he's here to compete and to challenge and uh, he's had some big wins this year most notably over Rafa Nadal. So, uh, you know, he's come prepared and his confidence must be uh, super high. Uh, Djokovic, clearly, as you mentioned, the undisputable favorite. Uh, Rublev has had such a tremendous 2020. It's going to be interesting to see how he does against these big names despite his first round or round-robin loss against Nadal. Uh, teams played a lot of tennis in a short time, but we always seem to say that about Dominic Team. Yeah. Uh, and then the guys I'm maybe not feeling it as much for is uh, Sissipas, uh, just don't know if he's got his mojo right now. Medvedev did get back on track in Paris, of course, but yeah. otherwise has had a bit of a lackluster season. And Zverev, with the stuff he's dealing with uh, off the court, the allegations didn't seem to bother him in his last tournament, but uh, we'll see what he can bring here um, to the ATP Cup. I, uh, I just feel it's kind of funny having this event right now because it doesn't feel like we've seen enough tennis this year to be at this stage of the game, yet here we are. No, you're, you're completely right. Um part part of what the end of year finals is it's it's a reward for the eight players who have ultimately had the best season um at the same time i do feel like the right names are there i'm very happy that andre rublev got in i think it would have been quite disappointing to have a player to win five atp titles and then not earn a spot in the end of year final space so seriously very crucial that he's there and of course roger federer's uh, injured and that opened up a space for Diego Schwartzman but Schwartzman's earned his right to play in this in this grouping as well he's had a very very solid season so um, I think it's a solid mix if if I'm leaning who to expect maybe come semifinals um, I, I believe Nadal and team are the guys to probably get out of the London grouping and then Tokyo I'm kind of leaning Djokovic and Medvedev, I feel like Medvedev has finally hit his stride a little bit. He's beaten Zverev now twice in a row, so opening with the round-robin victory there, I, I feel like he's playing 
his very best tennis again, which we haven't really seen for, for much of 2020. Of course, we missed much of 2020, but uh, he seems to be in a good comfort zone on these indoor hard court surfaces. So he, to me, is a threat as well. And then, um, yeah, the question for me is, can anybody stop Novak from winning this a sixth time? Yeah, that's the big one for sure. And uh, it should also be noted that Denis Shapovalov is there as an alternate and uh, right. I believe uh, hitting partner for these guys as well. So, I mean, we hope we don't see any injuries, but if there were, it could happen, I suppose, that he could be substituted in, um, which would be a fantastic experience for him if he did get the chance to, to do that. But uh, I think it's safe to say that he'll have plenty more opportunities down the road, as will Felix, uh, as could a healthy Milos, who was uh, not too far yeah. off either, right? So. Um, I mean, could you imagine having? Okay, I'm not even. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to say it. Imagine <laughs> having three Canadian. Imagine having three Canadians in the in the top. I mean, that would be yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, but even I think we'll see the day where we see at least a couple at some point. I yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, a goal for twenty. Simple goal for twenty twenty one. Men's side that we get one in the final eight. That that would be, you know, a lofty goal, but maybe doable. And then on the women's side. Also goal that we get one if Bianca, you know, she has that protected ranking, fortunately. So she's still comfortably inside the top 10, top eight right now. So if she can have another great season, uh, she can be there again, a healthy season, which is going to be so important. We should wrap Seriously. up with the final uh, tournament on the WTA side in, in Linz and uh, Arena Sabalenka just on fire to finish this season. And a player that we've talked about plenty is thinking, like, is she someone who can break through and win a Grand Slam? She certainly has the firepower to do it. She wins Linz, beats Elise Mertens in the final in straight sets. This coming after a victory over at the Ostrava Open, where she won the singles and the doubles title. So, unbelievable close to the season for her. Yeah, Linz gets the final with the number one and number two seed that we couldn't get at the Sofia Open That's with right. our two Canadians. But uh, so for the Linz organizers, exactly what they would have wanted to see. And uh, the two doubles partners up against each other in that final. And, and what I liked was afterwards, the two of them were obviously so close. They did their typical jumping picture with their respective trophies that they normally reserve for when they win a doubles title together. So nice to see them both smiling and for Elise Mertens as well. And uh, hey, you know, as the season comes to a close, that's, that's it for the WTA. Um, those two players are taking a lot of confidence into the offseason. And uh, as you mentioned, Sabalenka, what a force out there and, and someone that for the past couple of years, I've been thinking, okay, it's got to be this year that she's got uh, a big breakthrough at a slam, but uh, mm. she's got the, uh, the tools to certainly make that happen. And uh, in doubles, we should also mention in Linz, Gabby Dabrowski was the, uh, the lone Canadian over there as the uh, second seeded team, along with veteran Vera Zvonareva. And uh, they made it to the semifinals before falling out. I believe it was 10-6 in a third set champions tiebreak. So yep. very close and almost on the cusp of finishing her season with a finals appearance. And, uh, you know, for Gabby, who played 2020 with so many different partners, uh, I think the results were, were pretty darn good, all things considered. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we can have too many complaints about how Gabby Dabrowski played. And I, I think she probably had an understanding of navigating a COVID year when she was coming back. She was not going to see like the same doubles partner for three weeks in a row. I don't recall a same consecutive doubles partner at any moment, unfortunately. Ideally, sure. in, in the perfect world for 2021, it will be her and uh, Yelena Ostapenko each time. And, and that is the, the major threat to, I think, uh, win titles and compete for Grand Slams. Uh, but we should close on, on that note. You know, we asked the question, which Canadian man had the best season? So which Canadian woman had the best season? And for me, the candidates have to be uh, Leila Fernandez, Jeannie Bouchard and her unbelievable resurgence, or 
perhaps the steadiness of Gabby Dabrowski in doubles. Yeah, I, I feel bad for 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 saying I, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna go with Gabby on this one, and and maybe it's because I'm just so accustomed to the solid seasons that she's produced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a slight against her whatsoever. And uh, and I think Gabby's gonna be super motivated for 2021 with the Olympics as well. We hope, which will be happening, which she has talked about being the 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 you know peak moment that she wants to be ready for. Um, so for me, it's it's either Jeannie and Layla, Annie, and it's it's hard to pick between the two of them because. They both had surprising seasons for different reasons. Layla Annie kind of exploding onto the scene sooner than we would have expected. And Jeannie Bouchard having such a, a resurgence uh, late in the year that um, I, I, it's not shocking, but it, it was perhaps surprising at just how consistent she was playing. So it's hard for me to pick between the two. I guess I'll go with the youngster um, just because we've seen, you know, good tennis from Jeannie in the past. Um, although it has been a while, but for Layla Annie to come out from just being a year removed from being a junior um, and, and coming out and having such big wins over players like Sloane Stevens and, as we mentioned before, Belinda Bencic, uh, I think Layla Annie raised a lot of eyebrows and people are going to take notice of her and uh, uh, into the top 100. And, and as Michael Downey said earlier, um, you know, and, and beyond. So uh, it's going to be really fun to watch what she can do next year. And I think she's uh, given herself the confidence she needs to believe in herself and know that she certainly belongs in that uh, upper hundred in the women's game. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Layla is a a perfectly good pick. I would normally lean that way. I'll just give the other side of the coin and throw a selection to Jeannie Bouchard because I think it was the end of last season where her ranking had dipped to 332 in the world. I believe we had to deal with talking about at one point, was it a 12 match losing skid at one point in 2019 um you know we felt like she just couldn't buy a victory and i i don't think either of us pictured any kind of resurgence like this in 2020 we thought maybe she would figure it out a little bit and start getting some wins on the board but for her to make a, a wta final this year um her first final actually in four years was was simply unbelievable that of course um happened not at prague istanbul prague open was also a quarterfinal and uh, just such a remarkable return to form. Um, round three at Roland Garros, another terrific result at a Grand Slam, which is the furthest she's gotten at a Grand Slam, I believe, since 2017. So everything is is clicking again, and, and she feels, watching her, she feels like kind of comfortable and free and having fun, enjoying the game again. And I feel like her fitness and movement have uh, hit, hit simply another level. So my pick is for Jeannie Bouchard. I'm, I'm very hopeful that in 2021, she continues this momentum, stays healthy, and we see her at least back inside the top 100, if not even better. Yeah, and for Jeannie, there was a lot of bad luck involved too, right? Like, you know, she'd get yes. an injury issue just when she was trying to come back. She'd, yep. you know, have match points or, or, or get close. You know, in that streak, that losing streak you mentioned, there were times when she was so close to winning, mm-hmm. you know, being up a break in the third, what yep. have you. Um, and, and as a couple of Canadian tennis experts that we spoke to recently, Carolyn Cameron and Mark Masters both mentioned her fitness and her movement, like you said, as well, two big keys this year. And then the confidence, you know, just reversing that negative mojo and, and getting things back on track. And, and she surrounded herself with so many positive people this year between, uh, Gil Reyes on the fitness level, getting advice from Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf and, uh, and Renee Renee, Renee Stubbs, of course. That's right. So I think she's got good people around her and she stayed the course and she kept all that negativity to the outside, which I can't imagine how you'd be able to do in this day and age with social media. Uh, but kudos to Jeannie and, uh, look, men, women, Canadians, uh, we got so much to look forward to next year. And, uh, and next week's episode is going to be a bit of a look ahead 
and we're going to focus on uh, what we could expect from Bianca Andrescu. And uh, while we don't have her on the podcast next week, we will be talking to some people who can sort of shed some light on what Canadian tennis fans and Bianca fans can expect from her uh, in the coming months. Yeah, certainly. Please stay tuned for, for next week as we're getting a, a full Bianca update from uh, the people in her circle who, who know best. And uh, we can't wait to update the Canadian tennis fans about that as well. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Baby we will talk to you next down. time. Baby got a head down to the ground. Looking for a stranger. Looking for